On today's episode, I'll answer questions on how to price your work, how can you build relationships, and how can you start charging for what you do in a time where people don't necessarily have money to spend. Hi, Thad. COVID-19 may have impacted the business goals of many entrepreneurs. How can they get back on track and or revise their goals during these uncertain times? Thank you. It all depends on what type of business they run, but I think it's a combination of things because the way the world is going to be when this is all over is going to be dramatically different because I believe that having all these businesses closed for such a long time is going to put so many people out of work um, and that's going to be you know, very difficult to sort of fire up again as far as the economy goes. But if you're looking at a business and you're looking at kind of the current situation, I'd say it's, it's several things. It's firstly kind of working out like, OK, if this was to last for a year, how would I change my business to cope with it? And that's going to be a combination of looking at what technology can allow you to fulfill it remotely and then also changing your offering so that it appeals to a remote audience. This might be things such as, changing your offering so it's more relevant to customers or they can buy it on a kind of uh, payment plan so they can spread the cost. Um, It might be coming up with a whole new uh, business opportunity or business suggestion that isn't currently available but people need it, you know, because their their lives have been changed. I mean, I think there's that's always the first stage is kind of looking at kind of how can I evolve my business so that I survive. And then after that, we're looking at kind of like what can I offer to help other people survive and you could argue they both you know are interchangeable if you look to help others first then that will probably give you the demand which will actually um, fuel the way you're going to change your business but for me I look at it and think okay I've got to first adapt my business so it it thrives in a kind of remote economy Um, and then I've got to look at what the customers want you know and and that's going to be done from basically hanging out online in sort of social media groups and asking people what they're struggling with what they need help with um, and then the third thing is going to be how you approach your market once you kind of come back out there, because effectively, it's, I, I like to think of it, it's like a, like a race and there's been a crash and all the cars now uh, are just doing a slow lap behind the kind of, is it the pace car or whatever, the, the sort of ambulance car. And they're all now, if you were at the front and you were at the back, you've all kind of leveled out now. And the pace car has been going around for quite a while and it's going to be going around for another three months. The truth is, have you got enough petrol in the car to keep going? And then when you do keep going, have you got enough petrol to actually get to the front of the queue and stay there? Because like in anything, there's going to be opportunity. And if you can stay in business when your rivals are going out of business, there's an argument to be had that if you've got the resources available, you can either buy up their old companies, get their old their old customers and grab a bigger market share. Um, and that's the opportunity. So I think the third tier of, of what they've got to think about is if I survive this, so I think it is very much survive until this is coming over, but then have a plan of kind of what is my business going to look like post-corona and how am I going to take advantage of the businesses that have fallen by the wayside? And is it going to be that I need to sort of hire their talent or start winning their customers or, you know, anything like that can be done now. You can be planning that through building online communities and, and reaching out and messaging people. And then the key is to kind of like it might, you know, it could be as much as kind of financial planning to be buying up buildings and, uh, you know, going to landlords and saying, well, look, you've not got a tenant. I'll give you low rate, low rents to secure that property early, whatever it might be. I think you've got to be looking forward. But all of these things 
as they say on the airline, you've got to put the mask on yourself first, then on the people next to you, and then you've got to work out what you're going to do after this plane crashes, and how am I going to make sure I survive the plane crash? And as a horrible analogy as that is, that's probably as, <laughs> as close as I can get to kind of the three stages of thinking. Um, and this is a massive test, and, and a lot of businesses aren't set up for it. They're having to learn a lot of things, but in that, if you can teach them, then there may be an opportunity for you there. I hope that helps. Hey, Thad. So working in the creative industry and in, in general in the services industry, as business owners and freelancers, we have to price ourselves and our work uh, in a certain way. And the most common way is by the hour. But my question is, from your experience, what is the most effective way to price a project or a retainer? By the hour? By the day? By the project? Or try to estimate it in a value-based uh, pricing way? I appreciate your answer. So pricing is always a nightmare. Um, it's always very tricky. And I would always, a bit like with the previous question, I would say, having someone else do your pricing for you who's not emotionally involved with the project is actually really helpful because they're not scared of losing it because the money doesn't actually mean anything to them so if you are pricing work uh, having someone else do it for you is not a bad call and doing it for each other is actually quite helpful but apart from that i think it depends on what you're pricing so things like retainers you're probably going to get into hours depending on the, what the minutiae of the job is if it's going to be kind of like seo work or um Anything that can be logged because you're doing it. Hourly seems to make sense. I personally prefer um, project work. So I price it as a project. And then I break up the payment into installments because that makes it easier for them to pay. And it, it gives me a bit of a regular cash flow. I'm not comfortable uh, expecting people to do 50% and 50%. I think in, you know it's quite a large chunk that. So I, what I would say is what's, what's more... Uh, achievable is probably 25% before you start and then another kind of like 25, 25, 25. That's more manageable for people or you can break it over like a monthly payment over 12 months, it's up to you. When it comes to pricing your work, um, like I said, I like to price, price per project and there's two things here. So it's always really good to know what your overheads are gonna be to fulfill a project. So if you're doing a website, you need to get it down to a, like a package in your head or a cost so that knowing who you want to hire, how much they're going to be charging you once you've paid for the overheads, their fee, expenses, your profit, and then tax. When you've worked all that out, and you might say, well, I've got a really good web developer, to produce a website is typically going to be about, he, he charges £2,000. So if I'm going to make money, pay tax, all that, I'm going to at least need to charge five. So that's what my price is going to be. And as a rule of thumb, which might not be accurate, always double what you're quoted to give yourself enough for buffer in case it goes wrong. And again, what we're trying to do here is two things. We're trying to estimate uh, what our costs are for our services, as in what we need to price in order to not lose money, because that's the big thing. People lose money by underquoting. Um, and then we need to know what we need to price to make a decent amount of profit and to do it that way. And this is when you can think more objectively as if you were kind of managing a project for a client and you were getting quotes from people. So work out what it is you deliver and break it down into manageable chunks that you can remember in your head. So if you say, right, a branding job is typically X amount, you say like three grand, okay? That's what I've got to charge in order to break even. If I'm gonna make money on that, let's say it's six, so I'm gonna double it just to go six. A website, 
the developer charges me two, I'm going to have to charge, say, three. So six and five is 11. So I'm going to quote for branding a website 11 grand. It's going to cost me five in expenses to deliver it just straight off the bat. Then after the following six grand, I'm going to have my taxes, my overheads and my profit. And then that's how I price it. The reason being is if you go in knowing kind of what your costs are, you won't underprice. The next thing is to kind of diagnose the problem. And this isn't like value based pricing is a, is a bit of a skill and it's not always tricky to, to fulfill. But if nothing else, the two things you want to do by finding out more is one, what is the real problem and how much budget have they got? And that's what you want to try and sort out fairly early on. So by doing this, you want to be asking them about their business, about what they're struggling with, about what success looks like, those kind of questions. The Spice Girl question, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Dig deeper, find out what the problems are in their business, what the main struggles are, what they want to achieve. And in your head, you can kind of work out, okay, this is what they need, so can I offer that? Because if you can't, you're going to have to refer them to someone else. There's no Never ever sell a service that you provide that isn't going to help them. Then you're going to have to go, okay, if I were to achieve that, what would success look like to you? And what is that worth to your business? And that, again, is going to be kind of if you can help get a figure out of them, that's going to help you. So if you said, well, if we build a new e-commerce website and we rebrand and we launch a business selling T-shirts, we reckon we could sell 100,000 T-shirts a year. And those T-shirts, we make about five pounds profit on them. So that's worth half a million pounds. And then you're going to go, OK, so an e-commerce website and brand is going to be done successfully. It could be worth a lot of money to your business. So now if I know what the potential is that they think they can achieve, I can come back to my pricing and I can then go, well, if I quote my 11 grand, I can't go wrong with that. And then I'm going to think, but it's worth more to them if I do it properly. So what I could do is give them a ballpark figure. And what this does, it covers me quite a bit, but it gives them a figure to then give me a response on. So if I say, well, like, typically in these situations, the price is going to come in somewhere between 18 to 11 grand based on my experience. Do you have that money available to invest in this kind of business or this function or this feature or whatever it might be? Now, I, according to Blair Enns, who does the amazing pricing creativity book where I learned a lot of this, he will say, quote, the high price first because that's what they hear. So if I lead with 18 to 11 they hear 18. And the thing is, then you just you have to keep quiet. You have to wait for their response. And if they don't say no and they go, yeah, I think that's doable, then you go, great. Well, let me put together a more formal proposal and then we can maybe go ahead and get this started. The whole point of that procedure is to work out a pricing strategy you're comfortable with. And it starts with what do I want to be? What is it costing me to deliver the service? Then what do I need to add on top to make money? Then that's my ballpark, which I start with my almost kind of like guide. And then based on what they're telling me, I'm adding up the totals in my head as we go. So then when they say, OK, what is it worth to your business? And they're trying to work that out. I can then come in with my bracketed Y to X quote. And then that is all that's purely there to do is to sound them out over the phone, over email, over whatever to see if that's the sort of money they've got invested, you know, sorry, that sort of money they have available to invest. And if they don't say no and they say, yeah, that's doable, then at least you know that doing a proposal with 18 being the top end is a really good way to do it. And when you're preparing the proposal, if you want to cover yourself, you could always give them a range of options. So like a pricing table, where you've got the top end is maybe 18, the lower end is 11, 
got one in the middle at maybe 15 and then just varying options um, and usually what you're trying to do is add in the value drivers so if they've said to you anything that's important in the diagnosis phase that they really need such as like a weekly call or a, a project manager assigned to their project then that can be in the higher price package because that's more desirable to them and that way they're given control over what they want you've priced in a way that you're never going to lose money because if it falls between 18 and 11 you're set um, and it at least gives you the chance to have the discussion and then it is all about being very disciplined about filing the documents the paperwork the deposit getting everyone set up because as soon as that happens you're going to need to bring in the talent and that's a whole other ball game so my long-winded answer is I think it's a combination of things and depending on what you're being quoted on but it's always great to get to do a bit of diagnosing so they understand uh, so you get a deeper understanding of the problem they appreciate your approach you can articulate what success looks like so they get excited and they associate that kind of success with you and then you want to give them a ballpark figure so that you're not wasting your time and if they say no we've only got three grand you go well I can't do that sorry and you can say no with confidence then that's fine and if they go yeah that's easy and you realize you've underpriced next time you just price more it's just a skill we get used to it but that's that's the key thing is to do all of this um, and like I said it all starts with knowing your own costs and what you need to be charging not only to not lose money but then actually be making a profit on top and with all these things if you struggle with that mentally do a role play as if you're doing it for someone else or maybe two of you swap over and do it for each other and then that's what you take because it's it's very hard to be you know we all run our own businesses we can all find ways to go well I could do a little bit less or I could use a different person if you're working for someone else you're, you're not going to do that it's not your money you're not emotionally invested and it's much easier to do so with all these things getting a third party to kind of help you is always really helpful Dad, my question is, what do you do when friends or family contact you about design work? Do you do it for free? Do you give them a discount? Do you still require a contract? What's the best way to tactfully handle this and to, you know, make sure you don't get burned, but you can still provide good work for friends and family? Thanks. Some would say the answer is just to say no, and then you avoid all the kind of headache that comes with doing work for friends or family. Um, there, I think there are several things you can do and I, a couple of things I'd always recommend and I think putting in a third party to manage the relationship is always helpful um, so for example if I was running uh, if, I, if, if a friend or family came to me and they wanted a kind of a deal and I'll get into the whole pricing of that later uh, I would always have a kind of business partner that would be handling things or I'd have an independent third pass, person because what that person does, it gives me the accountability of being responsible and, and basically respecting their opinion. This person doesn't have to be real, um, but it can just be someone like, I've got to check with my business partner um, and we'll get the contracts over to you, whatever it would be. Or maybe it's a project manager who sends all the, the paperwork. And I think with all these things, because we're, you know, as they say, you, you can't ever fire your family which is tricky. So when it comes to doing this, I'd try and be in as, as official as possible. And I would always get the contract. I would always ask for a deposit and I would always do the payment terms as professionally as possible. And I would explain that, you know, in order to do your best job, you have to be objective and as professional and treat them like any other client. And you have a workflow that ensures consistency and quality of delivery. Um, I'll give you an example of how a, a fictional third party used to help me. So when I was in the hotel and we would have noisy guests, 
what I would do is I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that confident going, please, can you keep it down and having an argument with people? So what I would do is I would say, look, I'm really sorry to bother you, but we've had a complaint about your noise. Um, I can't tell you who it is, but and I would gesture to the room, the floor upstairs and go, but we have a couple of very, very sensitive and rather irritating guests and they've been whinging their whole stay and nothing's ever good enough. And fortunately, they're checking out. But I'm, you know, you're a great guy. I don't, I don't want to, you know, ruin your stay. But it would just mean a hell of a lot if you could just keep the noise down for me because they keep complaining to me and hounding me. And I just, you know, I thought I'd come in and, and just have a word. And, you know, if you wouldn't mind keeping it down, I'd really appreciate it. And generally they would go, no, no, you're really great. Um, I don't want you to get any flack from what we're doing. So we'll keep the noise down and, uh, yeah, screw those people. Hopefully they'll be gone soon. Anyway, because I would... There was never anyone else. This this fictitious third party who was complaining didn't exist. And I wouldn't disclose so they asked so they never could find out and they never existed so they didn't find out anyway. My point being is I can appeal to them and appear to be on their side where really I'm using the third party excuse to get what I want. And this way, you know, again, you could have anything. You can have a business partner who might say, look, I'd love to do this for you for free. But my business partner's really stripped. You know, he's an investor in my company. He's we agreed no pro no bono work, so I have to charge you. Like, I'll charge you as low as I can, but I'm I'm in a stick difficult position here. So you, you what you do is you garner the sympathy of your friend or family against this rather overbearing, fictitious, big bad wolf person. And I have quite often with clients, pl- happily enough, been prepared to play the role of the big bad wolf who is, you know, basically instilling more discipline and structure into their organisation. Because obviously if people are too nice and there are people that take advantage, they'll kind of take advantage of that niceness to get what they want. So first of all, I would try and set it up so that even if you get a friend they don't know to be that third party, kind of like project manager who sends out all the contracts and chases payments, then that's fine. We could do it for each other because we're not often emotionally involved. And then I think I would always offer to run it as professionally as possible as a, as a project. I would say uh, I'd first decide whether you want to take it or not and just say, look, I'm super busy, um, but I can fit you in in three months and they'll probably leave. Um, or I would just kind of go, look, we have normally it would be this, but as you're a family, I can give it for the, you for this if that's OK. And then I would just give them a, a, like a friends and family discount. And, and I would say I would use this thing of like if you were normally charging like say 500 pounds for the job i would just say look we normally charge you know around a thousand pounds but i can do it for you for half price if that's okay and they'll be thrilled with that and you still get full payment everyone wins i know it's a bit sneaky but these people are coming to you because they're hoping to get a deal they're not looking to go to another company because they want to save money the other thing is you know you've got to weigh up how well connected they are and like whenever we're promised uh, exposure you you might want to say okay well if you can send me three referrals like almost like payments with payments then I'll definitely do it but again it I all that as I suggested I just think that's probably not an ideal situation I would always kind of try and say no because it, it's always messy and there's you're only ever hoping that it goes brilliantly anything less than that and someone's always going to be disappointed and you're going to have to live with that person whenever we fall out with clients we never really see or hear from them again so I think with this case I would um employ a fictitious third party or a temporary third party to run the project i would make up fake discounts like they do in lots of shops like tk maxx and i would say you know it was x amount but now it's y because i'm giving you a deal is that okay for you and quite often that price in the very beginning because obviously you can't do free work because you have this uh, 
shady business partner who is investing in your business or is helping you or your business coach is another great one someone who's kind of advising you on how to be more professional um that that means you know they're going to be forced to pay and, and if you quote the price early on then they will either run away or pay um i would also say that anyone who's trying to squeeze you on price isn't really a good friend so uh, forget those people uh and like i said maybe it's better just to find excuses and say you're booked up for three months and then you avoid the situation entirely Anyway, I hope that helps. Hey, Thad, I would love to know what you think creatives can do to still be of value when nobody's out there spending any money. I think it's, um, it's one of those things that this is a time where you want to be building relationships for when people do have money. I've said it before, but I think it's really tone deaf to kind of be on social media showing off too much uh, but there is a huge bandwagon of people who are jumping on and zoom calling every bloody minute and they want to be very visible and wacky and cool and it, I find it personally utterly exhausting and amateur and, and irritating um, because I know they're just in it for the moment and once they go back to work they will stop doing it I think that yes you have to accept people aren't spending money so if you want them to spend money maybe give them different payment schemes or delay the payment for a couple of months you can still be delivering services and getting work but they might just go look all I need is for you to sign the agreement and in three months I will start taking a payment plan from you that way I can still give you the benefit of my insight and experience and education and knowledge but you're not paying for it yet and hopefully I'm going to help you build your business up so when you do relaunch when the money comes in you can pay me and remember that I was the one who helped you so I think the first thing is always building relationships getting to know people um, and this is a good time to do it because people are bored and they will want to talk and it's the network of people you build now is going to be the network of people you launch with when this is over and those people are going to be the ones who are going to want to help each other because it's like yeah we're all in this together we're all struggling so I think the opportunity is to share what you know uh, teach what you know um, whatever you're selling delay the payment um, and make the most of kind of helping people it sounds really cheesy but I think that the help has got to be of good quality so if you you know fortunately like yourself Melinda you've got a huge resource of brilliant teaching so you know make it you can teach that um, to people and again it, the difference is you've got to raise the barrier to entry so having a private group having a maybe a joining fee but then they get to pay later whatever it would be but I think it's it's one of these ones where you have what your turn your tip basically turn your experience into courses and start creating them while you are doing that be teaching what you know in a private group to road test and validate what you're teaching and then put that in a course so this way i can help people for no money with no money by teaching them what i know so i'm just helping people there's got to be a barrier to entry there's got to be a membership fee to joining otherwise you get every other fuck in there and it's not worth it you want quality of conversation so a $30 like joining fee and then they get access to you to teach and then I would do it this way I would plan on launching a course and I would teach the course in the group for free and road test it like a beta course and then I would take the improvements and refine them and record that and then turn that into a course to be sold at a later date I would then get testimonies from the people in the group to validate the course and help promote it and then I would offer it to the people in the group for like a half price 
you know, based on kind of what we've been learning, but I've refined it and improved it. And with all those things, it's going to come down to the quality of your teaching, your experience, your knowledge, but also then applying that and twisting it to go, what is it that people want now? And what am I building a course for? Because the course I'm building, where it might have been how to get clients, it might now be, well, how can I get clients remotely? So that is the restriction on the business. It's purely working from home. So how can I make a six-figure business from home? Might be the one where before it was like, how can I get clients? There might be an element of you've had to evolve the content to suit the future. Um, and with you know you and your strategic work and your thoughtful leadership, all that is, is still really valid. If you're helping guide a business through a crisis, then I think the questions you would ask that business to elicit certain responses, and this is what I do in the Signature Service Workshop, is to get them thinking. That's really valuable because they're doing the planning beforehand. And then the second phase is, well, how can we bring that to life? So if you want to operate your restaurant as a delivery service only, that's a great idea and we can map that out. But what skills do you need to acquire to do that and to build it? Well, you're going to need, first of all, to learn how to set up an e-commerce site. So I might you know, be teaching people how to build Shopify sites might be something you start doing. Then you might go, right, we need to teach content marketing. So how can you be doing that? Then it's going to be about, well, who are you going to be need to be recruiting to do this? Who are the relationships you need to be building? Is it with a delivery service? Do you need to partner with them and start doing delivery? What recipes do people want? All of a sudden, like your provocative questioning and thinking is giving people ideas, but they will still need you to keep pushing and getting the ideas out of them. Now, for me, that's a really valuable uh, thing you could be doing. And when they want to launch, they want to do that brand. I'm pretty certain they'll come back to you because you've built that trust. And I think this is where you would look at something like that Google report of um, zero moment of truth, that people want to spend time with brands and businesses before they feel comfortable buying from them. And I think in the report, it was between sort of nine and 12 hours. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but this is the value of a podcast. If you are doing podcasting, people are listening to you and getting to know you without you having to actually physically get to know them as well. So helping businesses start podcasts could be a great way of doing it because when they emerge from this, if they've already got thousands of people who feel like they know their business, it's going to be much easier for that business to sell to them. So I always think it's a case of we need to take what we know and help the people who need it by giving, asking interesting questions to give them provocative answers and then coach them through the development of those answers. And if that needs our work, that's when you would then go, well, look, how about you pay me, but we delay the payment for a bit or we start with lower payments and they increase over time or we do a payment plan or whatever we do. But I still believe you can still be kind of selling, just not recouping the full price of what you're selling now. And like with anything, it's positioning, target audience, if you go after people who have got more money, they're much more insulated from this crisis. They're not going to have as much of a problem giving you money because they're going to see the value in what you do. So this is where you have to make a choice between helping people at the bottom who don't have any money, who are struggling. And unfortunately, that's going to be tough. Or maybe be positioning yourself as a kind of more desirable service so that the people further up the chain who will value, appreciate and pay you for your service can do that. But I always think it's about giving away your teaching and adapting your teaching to help people now and then adapting it again so that you can help them in the future and you know give them solutions that will work in the future world that we're all going to be going into. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you found it valuable. I love doing these Q&A shows. So if you do have any questions, I'd love to have them. All you need to do is go to anchor.fm forward slash education slash message and you could leave me a message. If not, I'll be in the Facebook group. Just search Thadjication on Facebook or you can email me thad at thadjication.com. Like I said, if you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. I want to help as many people as possible and you can download it from iTunes and Shopify, Spotify. See, I'm going to leave that in because I'm not interested in making this too polished. I want it to be real. Um, And that's it. So thank you very much. Have a good day and uh, speak to you soon.